1: Welcome to Move Forward Radio, I'm Jason Bellamy. By the time Linda Cook took her son Evan to his four-month checkup, she was convinced he had scoliosis. Evan was having trouble breathing, he was losing strength and range of motion, and he had a noticeable hump around his ribs. Tests confirmed that Linda was right. A physical therapist assistant herself, Linda immediately pursued physical therapy for Evan, knowing it wouldn't cure her son's scoliosis, but could improve his strength and flexibility. Infantile scoliosis is rare, but Linda's experience with Evan speaks universally to the role that parents play when their child undergoes pediatric physical therapy for any condition. Here now, Linda shares her story along with Evans' physical therapist, Sarah Gonsalvish. Linda, start by telling me about your son, tell me about his diagnosis, and how you learned about it.
2: Well, my son has some medical issues. So he has some pulmonary issues. So in this very early stage of life, we noticed his breathing was very rapid and just not of a normal infant. So we saw a ear, nose, and throat specialist, and he told us that our son has what's called laryngomalasia. Basically, that means the flap, his larynx, it's not closing and opening correctly. And he has what's called a, a strider, which is a very long, like a loud-sounding breathing. So we thought, okay, he's got that. He's got some little feeding issues. We never noticed his scoliosis in the very beginning. He had no signs. Around two and a half months, his breathing started to get worse, and he stopped, like, feeding correctly. So we saw a occupational therapist for feeding issues, and she flipped him over on his, his stomach and said, oh, let me just take a look. And he kind of had a, a, a slight Rib issue, and you know she was like, oh, this can be you know corrected, et cetera. And we said okay. And she flipped him over on his stomach, and she said, oh, let me count, you know. So she's counting his vertebra, and she's like, oh, has anyone told you he may have scoliosis? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and he was two and a half months at that point. And I said, okay, well, I'll talk to his pediatrician, but right now we need to focus on his feed. So around three months, three three and a half months, we noticed this huge rib hump on his left side, and it was so tight and just. It was unbelievable, and anyone who saw him was like, what? what is that? I'm like, I don't know. I think it's just tightness, I think it will get better because of his breathing because he breathes so heavily. So we saw his pediatrician at his four-month checkup, and I said, we need to get an X-ray because I think Evan has scoliosis, and she's like, yep, let's, let's get that X-ray. And at that point, I said, he also is weak because he used to lift his head up, and now he's not lifting it, so I want to start physical therapy. Well, we... Got the X ray, they confirmed he has scoliosis. In the interim, we did see a therapist that I wasn't super happy about. And then a week later we started seeing Sarah and it was like night and day. She was so confident and just made us feel so much more secure. And, you know, I had basic questions for her, you know, obviously, you know, would this get better? And she said, you know, the tightness and the weakness will get better. The scoliosis that's not going to get better with therapy. And I said, okay, I know that, you know, but I'm just confident that some of that tightness that he has will improve. And in the process of all this, I was looking up some outreach programs and whatnot, and there was one that came up. It was called infantilescoliosis.org, and Heather Hyatt Montoya is the founder of it, and it's a nonprofit organization, and she got us pretty much hooked up with all his orthopedic doctors that we see now. So from that point, that's where we're at now.
1: So let's touch on that a little bit. What did you know about infantile scoliosis prior to this? What did scoliosis as a word mean to you in terms of what the impact would be on your son? Kind of what's that process been like?
2: We knew nothing about infantile scoliosis. (laughs) I mean, I knew about scoliosis. I didn't know that it could affect infants, to be quite honest. I didn't know that. I thought, oh, you know, adolescence or as an adult, you can get it, but I, I never knew that an infant could get it. And you know, it impacted us a lot because our son had other medical issues that we were kind of dealing with, and then we get this, like, okay, what do we do now? And that's when I started doing all my research and found out the nonprofit organization and about what we can do to correct his scoliosis. And the only way to correct it in infancy to year, two years of age was to get him into what's called metacasting. And Min Meadow was an orthopedic surgeon who developed the cast and not every state has it. So we knew with therapy that would help him with his strength and his tightness, but we knew the only way to cure his scoliosis was to get him casted as soon as possible.
1: So Sarah, this is a good time to bring you in. How common is infantile scoliosis, and just a new treatment? What's the typical treatment approach for infants with scoliosis?
0: So infantile scoliosis is actually really rare. It's only about one percent of all of the idiopathic or no known cause types of scoliosis in children. So we know that curves, you know, that are greater than 25 to 30 degrees tend to just continue to worsen without any treatment. And so we know, of course, that we can make gains with just stretching and strengthening, and so that's what we just focused on from the beginning. A lot of the cases do resolve spontaneously, about 90% of them do, but Evan was in that 10% that even shortly after he was diagnosed just continued to worsen rapidly. So we knew we had to do something, we had to start something with him.
1: And so what do you do for infants? In other words, the infantile scoliosis may be rare, but are the basic principles of treating infantile scoliosis similar to what you do with an adolescent, with an adult?
0: Um, it's absolutely the same as looked at through the musculoskeletal system. So, as a physical therapist, you go through the entire body and you just do a comprehensive evaluation of what's tight, what's weak. What base do you have to work with? And so, like Linda said earlier, Evan was holding his head up and then all of a sudden couldn't. So that's where it's a little bit different with infants, especially the small sides. You you have to go through the whole body instead of you know just focusing maybe on one part at a time. And where you know you could tell the adolescent, okay, this is what we need to stretch and this is you know the exercise we're going to do. With infants, you sort of have to be a little bit more creative in the sense that they're going to want to play while you're. Trying to work. So it's a lot of positioning, it's a lot of gross motor skills, reaching, rolling, sitting, those types of things with infants versus the older children.
1: Linda, from that standpoint, then, how involved have you been in your son's therapy and, and doing exercises at home? Because in that case, exercises is play, you know, trying to be functional. So uh, how involved are you and, and what's that daily regimen look like?
2: I'm 100% involved. I am currently not working. Ever since my son was diagnosed with all these issues, I took a leave of absence from work. And whatever Sarah teaches me, when she feels I'm ready for it, she'll say, "Okay, you need to do this at home." And this kid does get—he gets no breaks. <laughs> you know, we have a lot of play time, but at the same time, a lot of play is work. You know, I I always tell Sarah, you know, you tell me what to do, I'm going to do it, because I want my son to have the best outcome. And, you know, I'm a PTA myself, and I tell patients, you know, I give you about 30%, 40% of my time. The rest is up to you. And with infants, they can't do it unless the parent does it. And so myself and my husband have been very involved.
1: So you say never gets a break, but a lot of it is sort of playtime too. Take me through some of the things you do.
2: So when Sarah teaches us in the very beginning, okay, rolling, we noticed that one he would roll better if we helped him with his arms. So when we would play, you know, I would do ten rolls, getting him to roll to the left and then roll to the right, and I would help him kind of with the rolling, and then we would do tummy time, and tummy time would not just be, okay, you know, let's play tummy time, it would be, okay, reaching for objects with one arm and like lifting his head up. And I have my daughter, who's three years old, would help us too, because she would get involved and, you know, she'd hand him things because he has a left-sided torticollis. So I would tell her all the time, okay, go to the left, you know, so he can look at you to the left. And we'd play with him to the left and everything would be positioned to the left as much as we could with him. So in normal play for a baby, like with my three-year-old, I would just, put her on the ground and let her play with evan we do a lot of family time playing which includes the therapy and when sarah would feel comfortable with me stretching or doing any soft tissue with him at home i would do it whatever she wanted me to do and she would tell me okay this is how gentle you need to be this is where we need to go if she felt like i wasn't right to do it at home she wouldn't let me do it she would say okay we'll focus on that in, in clinic
1: And Sarah, is this as involved as you would expect most parents or is this a special case because Linda is a physical therapist assistant?
0: So I think Linda has the knowledge background that allows her to feel a little bit more confident in doing the home exercise programs. She is the ideal parent that we would like for all of our children to have because we spend you know, two or three sessions a week in physical therapy for 45 minutes to an hour, and then it's out of our hands for a majority of the child's time. And so we, our goal always is to have the parent be as involved as possible because that's how their child is going to get better quicker. The outcomes. Are are just going to come if the parent is confident and follows through. Just like any patient in physical therapy, you've got to do the stuff at home. You have to, to get the carryover. And so as a physical therapist, we've gotten a lot more progress in shorter periods of time having such an involved parent.
1: Linda, I'm curious, you worked with patients yourself, and now your son is is a patient of yours, in a sense. What's it like dealing with your son in this situation? What are the emotions for you? Again, you you know what it's like to watch somebody go through trying to fight and get those gains and breakthroughs. What's it like when it's your own son?
2: It's hard. (laughs) In the beginning, it was very, very hard because you don't want to hear them crying. You don't want to thinking, okay, am I hurting them? Am I doing the right thing? It it, it was. It was very difficult in the beginning because it's the unknown. Because of all the other little issues Evan had, I was like, okay, are we doing too much? Is he getting too tired? It's always fearful, okay, is he not gaining the appropriate weight because we're working him out too much or et cetera. But then I I was like, okay, he's making gains. Like every time I would see Sarah, I'd say, okay, he did this. He did this. And I knew everything we were doing was only going to help him. And so that fear started to kind of subside and the, oh, my gosh, is this too much? All of that kind of started to settle. And honestly, it's because of Sarah. I think if I was with any other person... I that wasn't as confident as she has been with my son, I think I would be still in the fear and the unknown and the, oh my gosh, are we doing the right thing? But because she's constantly made us feel so comfortable and she educates me all the time, I'm used to geriatric, I'm used to the adult population. I'm not used to infants. So even though I have a child that's three years old and I have a nine month old, I don't know like that whole realm. So. She has helped us tremendously in the whole process.
1: I want to talk about that part of the process from PTs dealing with parents in a second, but before we get to that, tell me about the gains that your son has been having. What couldn't he do? What can he do now? What progress has there been?
2: Well, he couldn't hold his head up uh, when he was on his stomach, and he holds his head up for 10, 15 minutes at a time, and he can roll, he can sit up, not independently, and that he has the metacast on right now to straighten his back. But prior to casting him, he was sitting up independently. He was rolling. He was reaching for objects, which he still is now. Everything that he couldn't do before was making those strides, especially rolling. That was our biggest thing. <laughs> you know, as a parent, you want them to reach every milestone at the appropriate time. And, you know, Sarah would always tell me, he'll get there. He's just going to get there on his time. And every time he, she'd say that, it was like the next day. I'm like, oh my gosh, he rolled over. He did it on his own. I gave him minimal help. And, you know, the whole lifting of his head, you'd start off with him just on his elbows. And now you know, his elbows are straight. His hands are down. And those are, like, the big things. The sitting up was the biggest thing as well. You know, he did it independently. Even with the curve, he still managed to sit upright on his own and even in the cast, he sits up. We have to help him, you know, but he can sit up for a few minutes at a time, but it's just, it's astronomical, the difference that he's made.
1: So Sarah, Linda's comments really underlined how much confidence she got from you, and earlier you talked about the challenges of treating infants, but the other part of it is you have to go through the parent, too. You have to give confidence to the parent. How do you do that? How do you bring parents in to be part of the process and make them feel confident that their child is going to make progress and to help have them be part of the process. In Linda's case, she was familiar with that, but most parents wouldn't be.
0: Right. So the first thing with pediatrics is you have to be comfortable with children in general. I had students that they want to do pediatrics, but then they've never held a baby or never even interacted with children. And I'm like, okay, let's start at the beginning. <laughs> You've got to be comfortable with handling children because confidence is everything with parents. They want to know that they're in the right hands with their child. And as a parent myself, I've had doctors that have just sort of been wishy-washy and sort of, oh, I'm not really sure. And I'm to a different doctor than next day because I want somebody that's gonna know, you know, exactly what my child needs and so I think that one of the most important things is just confidence in yourself to be able to treat these children and with children especially you can have two kids with the same diagnosis and they're not gonna present the same any time you get to knowing that you're going to walk into something that you probably haven't seen before and accepting that challenge and and liking that challenge every day. And so especially with the parents, a lot of times it's education. Like Linda said, she knows the body. She knows the musculoskeletal system. She knows how to treat adults. But it was just a little bit out of her realm for pediatrics, even though she had children of her own. So a lot of it is just telling the parents, What's going on with their child because they'll get a diagnosis from a doctor but then they'll come to me and say, well what does this even mean? I don't know what this word means. And so I'll explain if we know how it happens or why it happens and what we can do about it and what if we can't do anything about a certain aspect of their care then I'll let them know that, you know, these are realistic expectations and this is how we're going to get there. And so a lot of it is giving the parents the confidence in themselves as well to be able to assist in the therapy. They come to you and yes, you're the expert, and you're the one that knows how to treat this, but then the parent needs to be empowered as well to be able to help their own child at home. And that transformation with a lot of parents is really outstanding. They come in not knowing anything, not knowing what the word means that the doctor wrote on their script, and they leave going, oh, yeah, I know how to do this stretch, and I know how to do this exercise. And they feel accomplished that they helped their child get there. So that's half of our job as physical therapists to help the parent or the patient feel empowered that they can help themselves through this as well.
1: Absolutely. So from your view, what's Evan's next milestone and what's the longer-term prognosis? What's realistic for Evan compared to other kids who aren't dealing with infantile scoliosis?
0: So Evan definitely has some challenges, especially with the feeding early on. That does affect Gross motor skills, and then the curve—it's just going to affect how he does everything. And so we really got him close to being on track with his gross motor skills before we get the cast. Like Linda said, he was pushing up in his arms, he was rolling, he was sitting, and so the next thing was the crawling. And unfortunately, with the cast, it's a little bit restrictive in the fact that they've got to cover so much of the trunk to be able to get the spine in the right position that it sort of blocks his arms from being able to go right out in front of him and his legs from being in the right position to crawl and stand and so with therapy we might have to take a little bit of a break now that he's pretty mobile in that cast and then as soon as he gets out of that cast is when we'll be able to start again so he's got Another couple weeks in this cast, and then another two months in the next, and then hopefully we'll go to bracing. And so, once he's in the brace, he'll have a little bit more freedom to move the way we need him to to be able to gain his new gross motor skills with crawling and walking. So, those are our next two big steps that will most likely get soon as he's out of the cast. And Evan's a kid that is motivated to move. Every kid is either really motivated to move or some are a little bit slower and and are okay with sort of sitting for a while and okay with sort of just standing for a while. But Evan's one that he's like, oh, i got to get that toy. So that's the best kind of kid to work with. They're really motivated, so we don't have to push anything. We just sort of give them the motivation, and, and they start doing it. So I think he's going to come a long way as soon as he's got that freedom and ability to move out of that gas.
1: Linda, how are you feeling about it right now, and, and what's your hope for Evan?
2: Oh, my son has made such gains, and, you know, when the word scoliosis was presented to my husband and I, it was like, oh, my gosh. And then when we started doing our research and we started, you know, talking to other families that have kids with scoliosis and seeing them get casted with the metacasting and seeing their progress, I'm extremely hopeful, and his orthopedic in Cincinnati basically told us if we can get him straight in the cast again, we hopefully will brace him, and then hopefully that will maintain the curve and the rotation that Evan has, and his spine will stay straight. I mean, that's our hopes and our gains. I mean, no one knows, you know, what the spine wants to do. And we're just so thankful that there is something out there for kids. And early intervention is the biggest thing. I think a lot of people don't know about scoliosis. And I think they don't know anything about infantile scoliosis. And what I would say to parents out there is look up infantilescoliosis.org and do your homework about what you can do for your child and you know we didn't know anything about casting and that it could be an option but metacasting is what is going to elongate and derotate my son's spine and so that is the goal right now is to get it straight
1: beyond the metacasting what's the most important thing you learn from other parents from going through this experience or maybe from watching him and going through physical therapy and and helping him with that what couple other things that stand out that you took away that you would now tell the parents in in a similar situation to what you were in a few months ago
2: that my son had my hero because he does things where adults we would be so mad if we were going through what he had to go through and still going through but he puts a smile on his face and he's like okay what's the next step what do you want me to do now and to just kind of take a breath You know, take a deep breath and realize that you have to move forward. I could have stuck in that dark place in the beginning and just said, why, why, why? But I'm not that type of person. I move forward and figure out what we can do for our son and talking to other families that have gone through it and their kids have straight spines and their kids are playing basketball and baseball and doing amazing things and then there are those parents who the curve and the rotation in their child's spine was so severe that the, the casting will hold them you know, until they're a little bit older, until they need surgery. But I'm a big advocate for physical therapy, not just because I am a PTA, but it's shown me that Evan was so weak when we began this journey, and he's gotten so much stronger due to physical therapy. And I I don't know if me doing it at home by myself would have done anything. I don't know, because, I mean, obviously I took a different route. But I think PT, for any type of weakness or tightness, is helpful
1: well, certainly wish the very best of luck to you and to Evan. Linda Cook, thank you so much. Sarah Gonzalez, thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Sarah. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guest is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com slash radio.